Oh yeah. Um, hello there. Welcome to Pivotal Film. I am Tom Nolan, and I'm Mario Ponzio, and this is the uh, most likely the last of, of. We're gonna get back, even if for some reason we're still remote next week. This is the last episode before we get back to the list. If yeah. we have to be remote next week for some reason, I just say we go back to the list. Are you trying to tell me something, Mario? No, I'm just saying. If, toilet seats in your spare time. I mean, that wouldn't be how you spread COVID. <laughs> Nobody but, uh, would be gross, and I would yeah, be that's coming, true. And I'm not coming over. <laughs> Why does it have my own toilet seat and I lived alone? Oh, that's a that's a tough question. What a man does with his own toilet seat, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. Don't tread. Don't tread on me. Yeah, no, you know, that's good. That's good. Some, it, it builds up the uh, it builds up the immune system. You got to have antibodies for something. Yeah. And for your own bacteria. That's just smart. You're just being smart. Yeah. You're just being I smart. Agree. Do we want to talk? Do you want to talk politics? Do you want to talk impeachment? Ah, no. Does it matter? No. No. It doesn't. You know what else doesn't matter, Tom? Mm, so, so many things. It's really kind of hard for me to guess. The first movie we're going to talk about Pieces of a Woman. <laughs> I wanted to stay at home. She sounds really good. I wanted the baby to decide when she wanted to come. My daughter came into this world. For the time that she did. bring her back well i think the irony about this mario is that for uh, it seemed like this was really gonna matter for a long we spent a long time this year waiting for this movie which has is supposed I mean, to have this bravura vanessa kirby performance at it's its still, center it's still gonna get nominated probably yeah, almost certainly i mean i guess it's true because everything is just written in stone now like with these nominations there's no kind of like surprise non-nominations it's just these you know, the five people that Gold Derby currently has at the top of whatever the thing is. But I don't, I just, I don't see it. I mean, I just, I don't know. So let's, I mean, we could do the thing. Vanessa Kirby plays Martha. She's married to Sean, inexplicably, played by Shia LaBeouf. Um, And they are going to have a baby and they're going to have a home birth. And the midwife comes over, not their first choice for midwife, but she's involved in labor. So the next midwife in the practice that's available comes over and, and she's in labor for like 20 minutes. And then she has the baby and then um, spoiler alert, something happens to the baby. The baby Um, dies. (laughs) Yeah. It turns blue. Um, we we knew that was going to happen. Everyone told us as as people that you know read about movies and like listen to podcasts about movies and doing whatever. It's it's, it's a movie just... about this couple suing a successful home yeah. birth. Well, that's... like listen, Molly Parker, you delivered this baby too well. We wanted some stress, but instead it just was no problem. You ruined the experience for us, so we're suing you. That would have been a good movie. I but that was that's what happened. I mean, yeah. <laughs> What happened? Which is, if, are, you, are you suggesting that it was just after the like the initial home birth? It's just an hour and a half of them screaming at Molly Parker sitting in a chair. Yeah, and it's not well, even a character name; they're just yelling at Molly Parker. I mean, inexplicably, this movie becomes this weird attempt at fucking marriage story slash Blue Valentine part. 
you know, talking about kind of the downfall of this marriage and, you know, Ellen Burstyn being a cackling villain in the background. Uh, well, Liza Schlesinger pretends to be an actress. Um, I, I applaud the um, casting director in this movie and in the same, a little bit of the same way I do like the next movie we're going to talk about. They, Eliza Schlesinger, uh, Vanessa Kirby and Ellen Burstyn look like they could be uh, mother and daughters. Well, that's true. Actually, they, actually they're like, like a perfect looking family. Um, I that was that was nice. That, that was yeah. one pleasant experience. Um, but this is, I don't know. It's weirdly a movie where I, I think like the entire plot rundown of it doesn't matter um, because it doesn't. Like well, because the marriage disintegrates. But there's all these weirdo. There's all these moments. It does. That I think are supposed to hit, but like, it's it doesn't. The the it, the movie doesn't function correctly because I don't think at the end it knows what it's supposed to be. So I'm not 100 percent sure why. Like Sean is an idiot even though he claims to not be an idiot and he can pay for stuff just you know whatever but i don't know why he's got to be an idiot like i'm well, I, you know i'm not sure why any of the things that happen have to happen i'm not even sure what 100 sure why ellen burston feels compelled for martha to sue this woman but like she does it's just like she's like obsessed with it and that's why the thing. Every, everyone feels so on rails uh and that's what doesn't work about this film. The, the performances from your central leads are fine. Honestly, they're just fine. I think Vanessa Kirby's adequate. I think Ellen Burstyn is just trying to read whatever dumb fucking lines were written for her. Mm. And the less said about Shia LaBeouf in this movie, the better. Um, well, like Sarah Snook and all that's good and whatnot. She's but fine. Even, except for the fact I mean, not good, but yeah. just like... Yeah. She's fine. But the thing that it ruins this movie is everything's so utterly unearned. And there's like moments, there, there's these elements added into the film that are supposed to add this sort of gravi- gravity to the situation. Like Sean being a recovering drug addict, having no sort of like catalyst or reason for him relapsing into the drug addiction. Well, you know, I mean, his, just, kid, just, his kid dying, I think but is it's supposed just, to be it. But it's just there. It's it's really serves no purpose except like here's the downfall of this character. And the question would be why in that moment when he's babbling about a bridge, like after he's just had sex with the lawyer for no reason that you know that he's the first words he says to her is oh I guess we're related. And even like Sarah Snook as the lawyer, just like when she the first time she sees him, you just see it in her face like oh I'm gonna have sex with you is that good yeah. why at that moment did he choose to relapse there's, there's got to be hundreds of like tiny moments in this guy's terrible life after what happens that it would be more affecting for him to relapse during why it doesn't make any sense nothing yeah nothing about this makes sense it's 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 uh, i found it funny because it's so absurd it we're, we're told that um Molly Parker's, uh, the character uh, Eva, like, yep. did a shit job at this home birth, and you're just meant to believe this, and meant to believe that there is some error in the way, and everyone's convinced that this case, but absolutely nothing that she does at all suggests that, and yeah, of course the ending kind of goes back on that when, you know, Martha kind of accepts that, you know, she didn't do anything wrong, but as a viewer, you're sitting there going like, no fucking shit she didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Everything she did in this like weirdly kind of trying to be one take 30 minute scene 
is like buy the fucking book. <laughs> well, and, and I know it's by the book because I've done this before. And in in roughly the same way, not at my house, but at a, at a birthing center where, you know, a similar situation happened and the midwife is just like, yeah, when you hold your breath, the baby's heart rate does terrible things. So don't hold your breath to my to my wife. Um, I, I thought it was super weird that they decided to make an anti-midwife movie for an hour and 45 minutes. Which was just, which was just totally bizarre. Um, and then the, just turn around and go like, never mind. No, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give this speech in court, which making I'm it definitely not Ellen, allowed to do. Making an anti Ellen Burstyn movie instead at the end. And then I'm just gonna make sure that Ellen Burstyn's face is totally enigmatic at the end. Is she happy or what? Is like she's standing up for herself in the same way that Ellen Burstyn's mom or stood up to the Nazis. She, she or, lifted her head. Yeah, so she at like a like as in an as an infant was had the wherewithal to know that she had to be strong. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, inexplicably, one of the dumbest fucking scenes in the movie takes place somewhere halfway, where we start out with Benny Safdie and Shia LaBeouf talking for six minutes about the fucking white stripes. And about how um, Jack and Meg White were playing brother and sister, but really married. And then Charlotte, uh, Sarah Snook's character goes like, I've never heard of these white stripes. And so then Benny Safdie and Shia LaBeouf repeat the fucking conversation again. And and at that point, you're like, this is the weirdest it can be. As like, you know, Martha gets a little upset about the progress of the conversation. But no, Ellen Burstyn... (laughs) just fucking goes on this fucking monologue about the fucking Holocaust and about how she was an underfed baby who isn't fed enough because, you know, she didn't want to cry and be taken away by the Nazis after her father was taken away by the Nazis, but she was just barely able to lift her head. And you're sitting there going, what the fuck am I watching? I literally said to myself when I was watching it, I was like, What? As soon as she started talking about the Nazis, I was like, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. What What is happening here? What year is this supposed to be? How old is Ellen Burstyn? I mean, she's got to be in her 80s, right? Well, yeah. But I'm not sure, like, where do the the Nazis fit into here? Like, I don't, I don't, even if she is, like, old enough for them to have lived through that, like, Why? How does also, this make how does this make sense? Are midwives Nazis? Like, is that what we're saying? Did she have Isla Schlesinger and Vanessa Kirby's character in her fifties, like her late fifties? I don't know. She must have because both of those actresses are, are in, in their, their early thirties. Right, look like they're in their early thirties. So let's give the benefit of the doubt that they're at oldest, like 38, 39, Let's say so. She had them when she was like fifty years old. It's kind of big what rough. The fuck is going on with this movie? I don't know. Like it's, it's and, and a bridge yeah. is being built. Just a bridge. Well, we just, have to have a framing device. This is good bridge. The daughter was going to cross. Yeah, then we ended a fucking apple orchard like seven years later, just to show that Vanessa Kirby's like the Martha's vagina wasn't like a barren wasteland. We go like, look, she had a daughter still. But I talked about- Just in case you didn't think she could have a daughter. I talked about this last week, or maybe I've talked about it to other people about other things, but 
the idea of like looking at like what your story is about and deciding like what is important and then you just take out all the stuff that isn't important and then you just try to figure out the best way to articulate what is important so i have i think this story's problem is that they're like what's really important the baby died okay well we're going to do that in the first 30 minutes of the movie so then what's important after that and then they came up with nothing and then so they were just like, oh, we need to have some drama here. So we'll have some affairs happening and we'll have Ellen Burstyn giving wrinkled checks to Shia LaBeouf and we'll have Shia LaBeouf give a hat to, to his wife before he leaves just on the train. Runs away to Seattle. To go to, he's taking a train to Seattle from Boston. I, I mean, I guess there's got to be other ways to get there. He can pay for stuff. Why isn't he taking an Uber to the train station? You know, I don't understand. Maybe this maybe the secret was he couldn't pay for anything. Why doesn't he rent a car? Why is he no idea? Yeah, why does why is any of them anything that happens in this movie happening? That being said, you know, we're we're doing something else later in the in the podcast. We're gonna list our worst movies of the year. And I found this movie totally inexplicable and I didn't enjoy it. It's not on my list though, because I, I, I I'm giving like some of these the actors in this the benefit of the doubt um i am too but i also like by the end of this found this move like the first hour of this i was just having a miserable time by the end of it i was kind of having a good time because it's so fucking dumb yeah, like it's, it's so ridiculous bad. like once that speech happens like once that scene happens like with like a white chicken stripes, yeah like, oh no, i loved it like and then like chicken. howard shore just did the score for a completely different movie and just paste it on top of this well it seemed like yeah it seemed like he was doing like a, a redo score or something for like goodwill hunting or something like a gothic movie well he's like yeah this is well, in boston but that, so i guess i gotta do this score again so that's really weird that you said that like it's like it's both of those things simultaneously because sometimes i was like this score is really nice and it's not working with the movie but it's nice to listen to yeah but then sometimes it would just be just totally to- like way off and you'd be like what kind of movie is this is this a horror movie is this going to happen again are we going to fast forward like four years from now she's going to be doing this to another guy she's going to be living off sued midwife money and that's how she makes her living it's just this huge long grift it just turns out she's actually actively destroying midwives lives by like purposely killing her own babies (laughs) one at a time by putting apple seeds inside of her she's just eating (laughs) apple seeds She's hoping for like a Hugh Jackman sort of explosion from her chest. Well, just you, the end Appleseed thing I thought was so funny because I kind of have expected her to look at the camera and just be like, you get it? Hmm? Appleseeds. Yeah. Do you understand? Well, the thing. They're growing. The, the, the way the realize the second I realized I wasn't taking this movie seriously was when she threw the daughter's ashes off the bridge. And I was like, the daughter wasn't the first one across that bridge, though. I don't know why she would let go of them. She doesn't. I. I just. This movie also has a really weird idea of like mental health, and so it's like you have to let go of this to yeah. move on. It's like I. I don't have to let go of anything. I can process it, and I can like integrate it into myself. I don't have to let go of it. I don't have to throw my whole life away just to move on with this one thing. And the thing I love too about this film. Is it takes place over like seven months, except for like the year flash forward in the end. And 
everyone's screaming by January, you have to move on from this, when the baby died in September, basically in her arms. Guys, she's allowed to grieve for, like, a little longer than four months. Yeah, get off her back. I don't I don't get it. And that's why, like... The fact that she's, like, going to work and processing things and actively trying to re-engage with, like, a social life speaks volumes to how well she's doing. Well, I found, like, the most upsetting part of this movie, I think, is is obviously, like, the rape scene. Um, but I think it's 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 upsetting for two reasons. One, because it's stupid, because there's no reason that Sean has to act like this, like to process his grief. Like he spends the whole movie saying like he's not this kind of guy, and then all of a sudden he's like, "Well, I'm totally this kind of guy. I'm gonna let's have sex with the, while I'm wearing a flannel shirt and no pants." Um, but I thought the thing that was really upsetting was that like they make a point in the labor scene of showing Sean holding her legs like in a specific way, like while she's like trying to give birth, like, you know, whatever she's doing. And then it almost seemed like that that one scene went out of its way to show him like doing the same or trying to put her in the same position. It's like, what is like, why is this? Why is there symbolic resonance from like labor to assault? Like, yeah. how, what does that even mean? It doesn't mean, and it doesn't, it obviously doesn't mean anything, but I just don't think the filmmakers were like adept enough at telling this story to realize that it was just gross. Like what they were doing was kind of disgusting. Yeah. No, and exactly. it didn't mean anything. Um, I did is, like the, what I will give it one credit. I always love the opening titles happening 30 minutes into a movie. Don't know why, but yeah, I've always loved that. But Departed did that. I, was, I just love that in movies. Yeah, you kick it off. But I think the problem with this movie is that you're like, oh, that was that was something. And then, you know, the rest of the movie happens. You're like, oh, this is nothing. What's, and I, I think, just to finish, I think we should speak on that. I don't find that opening scene to be nearly as harrowing. Like, the next movie we're going to talk about, like, has some, has some pretty dark turns that are so much better done than the opening 30 minutes of this film. Like, the six seven minutes of that movie mm-hmm. uh that are the two separate scenes of that movie that we're gonna, a promising young woman that we're going to talk about next have just like are so much better than like this opening 30 minutes what the fuck is supposed to be harrowing about that like I, I don't find I, I i think molly parker is great in it and it's it's unfortunate that molly parker kind of just disappears because like Molly Parker's a real human being and is not allowed to exist in this movie because mm-hmm. real people can't exist in pieces of a woman. Um, no, they can't. Like I'm like the entire time I watch that movie, I'm just like I want to go back to see what Molly Parker is doing. Like this this story is much more interesting of a woman I wrongly bet, accused. I, yeah, I bet Molly Parker's having. I bet her character is having some really deep, real thoughts about what happened. I bet she's talking to some understanding people i bet it's equally dramatic the pain that she's going through but like probably more intelligently felt and more interesting and i wonder i wonder to agree to a degree if that's why like people like the only part of it i find harrowing is kind of her her experience with it and that maybe that's why the rest of the movie doesn't work is because molly parker is better than everyone else in this film and she's like the only one you have an access point to of like actual stress like vanessa kirby's not really selling the fact that she's she i never actually buy that she's pregnant for one thing well that's shia labeouf just doesn't seem that bothered oh god he's so bad in this but like Uh, he's trying something but i agree with you and i think the problem with the labor scene is that one she's just got a latex ball 
uh, saran wrap to her that's, to her yeah, stomach. That was like bad. That's a that's a bad prosthetic, right? That was bad. Okay. But the other thing is that and I I always try not to do this, like to relate specifically to something and dictate whether or not something is good or bad based on my awareness of the event that's happening. Like I said, I've been there two times. What they were, what what happened in that in that home is not interesting. Women do that shit all the time, and especially now in like 2020, 2019, 2018, whenever you want to say that this movie took place, aside from like 1982 or something, when that didn't happen. Um, this shit happens all the time. They would never have let her have a home birth. So if you have a home birth or something, if you work with a midwife group, they are attached to a hospital. They have the same protocols that like a hospital has in a lot of ways. They're never going to let you have a home birth if you are going to be, if your pregnancy is going to be problematic in any way. She was just having a baby. That's it. Until the end, when something happened to that baby, she was just having a a baby in a very normal way, in a very very standard issue way. It wasn't harrowing at all. And that's the thing. I don't know why all of a sudden we're trying to make having a baby seem like an action movie sequence. Just have a fucking baby. That would have been way more interesting to me if she just had the baby. And it's just like a... But they didn't. They didn't try then, to sell it like a like and a. And then she dies, and Shia LaBeouf and two other men have to raise raise the baby alone. And it was three, three men and a baby <laughs> remake. And one of those guys is dead, dead dancing still. And he just walks in, and is like, "Someone has a baby." I'm here about the room. <laughs> oh, that's next door. <laughs> okay, well, oh, I see you have a baby. I have experience with this. Oh, and I see you have a Gutenberg over there. And Child Buff's just like, oh my god, where did Steve Gutenberg come from? (laughs) Yeah, uh, I would have loved that movie. Damn it. Lost causes, lost causes. Um, you already mentioned the next movie we're going to talk about, and um, this was that was a pretty good conversation. I wasn't sure we were going to have a good conversation about that because we were both just like, but I think we're we have some feelings about this. I think, in one way or the other, we have some thoughts. Uh, you already mentioned it, it is um, Promising Young Woman. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Cassie Thomas has dropped out of medical school and is about to turn 30 and turns 30 and and works in a coffee shop and still lives with her parents and spends her weekends pretending to be drunk at nightclubs and finding men who are going to bring her back home and try to sleep with her when she's under the pretense of her being drunk and unable to consent and then she comes to because she's not actually drunk and teaches them a lesson, uh, tells them, speaks them, da- talks them down, not talks them down, but dresses them down is the word I'm looking mm. for uh, about their behavior. Um, and this is all based upon the fact that she had previously dropped out of medical school to help 
her friend Nina, who had been raped by a fellow medical student and had had it taped at a party. Um, and nobody had believed that she had actually been raped because Nina had been, you know, like a, a party girl, um, had had the accusations of being promiscuous. And so nobody from the dean to uh, the rapist's lawyer kind of believed them. Uh, and the case was dismissed. And in her grief, and Nina dropped out and Cassie dropped out to support her. But uh, eventually, Nina, overwhelmed by it, committed suicide. And so now Cassie's kind of dedicated her life to, um, you know, avenging that and, and reliving that sort of memory. Um, eventually, she meets Ryan, who comes into the coffee shop. And Ryan is a former... Uh, medical school student who always had a crush on Cassie and he asks her out. She's a little reluctant, but eventually she does go out with him and uh, the two of them get along pretty well. Um, Ryan, though, finds her one night trying mm. to lure another man home. Not really lure another man home, but uh, set up mm. another man for her um, dressing down and he breaks up with her and Cassie kind of realizes that maybe it's time to move on. Um, and so she takes that back from her life and, uh, you know, kind of starts a relationship with Ryan. Uh, Ryan, however, reveals to her around this time that Al Monroe, the man who had raped Nina, uh, is going to get married. And it kind of sets off this course of um, Cassie kind of creating this like one last bit of, of revenge, um, going after kind of people that had been directly involved in. The, the biggest people that have been involved in, in the um, in, in Nina's kind of downward spiral, uh, Madison, uh, who was one of the classmates and friends who had just completely not believed Nina, uh, the Dean who had just brushed it under, um, you know, just doing kind of shady, but ultimately innocuous-esque things, uh, illegal, but never things that are openly, um, violent or maybe i'm not even sure if they're necessary i guess they're illegal but yeah they would be morally, morally gray i guess you could say could be um, yeah uh she she eventually goes to the lawyer um and finds out that the lawyer is kind of the one who feels a great sense of remorse having had a mental break about what he did with nina and multiple other women um, in the past in similar situations because his law firm was kind of the one who had kind of taken on a lot of these cases. Um, uh, eventually, Cassie kind of decides to leave that behind to really strengthen her relationship with Ryan. Uh, and then Madison comes with the footage, uh, the, the former friend uh, who she kind of entrapped earlier, uh, showing that the rape was real and documented and that there was proof and that Ryan, uh, her boyfriend, uh, was involved in it. He was one of the people that kind of watched it happen. Uh, and that sets into motion Cassie's big last plot of revenge. Uh, she obviously breaks things off with Ryan and says that, you know, they're all going to pay for that. And it gets the information of Al's stag party because she's going to go to the stag party and pretend to be a stripper. And she's going to tattoo Nina's name on to Al, and she drugs everyone at the stag party, knocks them out, uh, gets Al locked up 
in handcuffs because she's going to do a little strip tease with him and then uh, tries to start tattooing his name on it. But Al breaks free of the handcuffs and suffocates Cassie to death. <laughs> um, Joe, Al's best friend, best man, and uh, Al try to bury the murder by burning Cassie's body. Uh, but it has turned out that Cassie, in the event of her disappearance, has relayed the information uh, to the attorney who felt remorse, uh, Jordan Green, played by Alfred Molina. Um, and in the end of the film, the police uh, find out what has happened through the, the various clues she's left. Um, and, you know, people are brought to justice. I don't know if the videotape's ever released, but I'm kind of assuming she's releases the videotape. Yeah, I, I I'm she guessing. Um, but Al's arrested for the murder. Um, and assuming the videotapes released, all these people's lives are kind of shot. Over. Um, yeah, no, I fucking love this movie. I, I, I after watching it, I read a lot of criticisms of the ending. Mm. Um, but I think the ending works extraordinarily well. I really, from the top down can't find much to fault with this movie i think it's it's incredibly well paced there's there's not a lot of fat to it um everything from the production design to the score to the soundtrack choices just work on this really incredibly both eclectic but also emotive level um it has a real sense of place it has a real sense of kind of like existing in this kind of frozen in time where you kind of feel that cassie was kind of frozen in time in the early like 2010s late 2008s um late 2008s late 2000s um and you know we talked about vanessa kirby's performance not being up to stuff i think carrie mulligan and i'm not a huge carrie mulligan guy carrie mulligan's fucking fantastic in this just like hits everything she needs to hit uh from the top down screenplay direction choices i really this is one of my favorites of the year um i the only thing i i I maybe have fault with is is the ending seems a little neat um but i understand the point of it i understand like the one moment where your cassie kind of shows the director emerald uh, uh Emerald Fennel kind of said like the one moment where Cassie tries to like be violent is when it kind of implodes on her because that's what happens with women. Um, I, I kind of felt, and, and I like the fact that there's like the retribution by like Cassie being the more intelligent one than them all. Um, I guess I almost wanted a little bit of a darker ending where it was kind of Al getting away with it and everything and just the cycle continuing because that maybe felt a little more real. Um, but beyond that, just being something, you know, dark old Mario would have liked to have seen. Uh, I think this is just a, a fantastic film. Um, yeah, I, I, I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so you, I think you wanted, I think I wanted darker too. I wanted it to be the begin, the first like, I don't know, 40 minutes-ish. Seemed like it was going to be a much poppier movie. Mm. Um, and then it kind of it 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 stops kind of being that, which I guess is is necessary as as like um, her her mental state gets a little darker. Are you saying, or what, what are you saying is the turning point when she watches the video? Or a I don't. I, you know what? I think that might be another kind of not flaw. It's maybe another kind of like inconsistency that I I felt watching it was that like I couldn't really feel when it was turning. It was just kind of started to turn. It just kind of stopped. The tone shifted like. 
a little bit. And then it was just like, well, what is what is this next stage of this movie going to be? And it was when the next stage, I think, was fine. It was really compelling and really interesting. And Carrie Mulligan, I think, is at the center of this is the thing that keeps it really interesting. I think Bo Burnham is pretty good. Actually, yeah, I, really, I like him until the until he needs to be until he gets accused. And then he's just, and then the movie gets a little heavier. And I don't think he can he can't hold his own. Um, yeah, I want him to be in the same degree of whininess that Al has. Right. And I think, I, I think Christopher Lowell is pretty good. I think Adam, um, Adam Brody as the first guy that we meet, uh, Jerry, I thought was fucking great. Yeah. Um, I like, I, I love the choice of Max Greenfield too. Kind of like coming <sighs> off that, I love that Green... like new girl stuff, but I, I, I like Max... that. He's just like, he's so much like a sitcom stripper, man. No, I loved him like just trying to steal the movie in a couple of in a couple of lines. Yeah. Um it was really good. I th- I think it was I think it was it's so admirable in not in its politics, which are also which I think are are are, are good and fine and I align with and stuff like that, but like in how ambitious it is and how um even when it's not doing the dark thing that we, I think we thought it was going to, or that we wanted it to, it was still pretty dark. And I think it holds an, a really interesting lens up to, uh, you know, toxic masculinity, like the McLovin scene. I fucking hate that guy. Um, but I, Men's classy. yeah, but I'm never, I think Superbad is one of the worst movies like in the history of films. Yeah, but he, he um, does, he nails what he's supposed oh, to be. He fucking kills it. But yeah. that scene, and I thought that scene up to a point was great. And that point, though, is when she, for the first time, describes what it is that she does. And I was just like, I don't need this. We get it. Like, yeah. we saw your book. We saw your moves. Like, we understand how this works. You don't need to tell us. I guess this. I think it's there to make sure you don't think she's to know she's not killing the guys but or assaulting I think the, the problem, which is fine. I guess the problem is show her do it more, and we can know because they, she has these weirdo expos. The, so the script I think is really good, but there's these strange exposition dumps kind of in the middle of it where like yeah trying to explain to us how the movie works, and we're like we know how the movie works. You're really smart at this carrie mulligan is really smart you're doing a good job you don't need to stop to tell us how this works oh absolutely and i I think what's what and i think maybe that becomes even more frustrating is the moments the movie doesn't decide to describe that have like a real emotional impact like when um you know her parents are talking about like after she's gone missing and clancy brown just goes she always comes back Mm -hmm. and like that's all they do with it you're just like fuck like, because yeah. you you know, like, just because, like, they're really supportive parents overall. Like, they're obviously afraid of her failure to launch and whatnot. But, like, when he says that and that's all you get with it, you never come back to it. Like, that's just great screenwriting. And mm-hmm. the fact of, like, that's more powerful than showing them, like, finding out afterwards. Like, having that moment of score where it's, like, them finding out and crying. But, like, just him going, she always comes back. And it's just like, fuck. You know, like, right after you just seen her being burned. Right. And I think the same thing can be said um, with some of the, um, oh, right after you said it, I put me something. Oh, uh, the Molly Shannon scene with Nina's, with Nina's mother. Um, 
I think it's interesting that she's like sitting in front of this house and like it's at that point in the movie where she's going to kind of all these places to confront all these different people. So you're like, oh, who's this? Who's this she's going to confront? And then it's Nina's mother, even though they don't say like right away that it's Nina's mother. And they have this kind of brief conversation that ends in a way that we feel this real empathy with or sympathy for um, Cassie in the sense that even Nina's mother's like, you got to get over it. Like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. Um, and it's it's the worst thing I could ever happen to anybody. But like, you can't do this. You can't do this anymore. You can't do this forever. And it's, um, it's, what I think is impressive, too, is this is a, I've never seen a movie with such a collection of like single scene performances that really like knock it out. Well, so that's and I think that's my other flaw of the movie <clears throat> in a movie that I really like. Um I'm not sure where it's going to fall or, or what have you. I haven't gone and processed it yet, but um, I, we have it till tomorrow, so we can you can watch it again if you want. Um, there, there is an episodic quality to some of these things, mm. um, and I think that so I think the pacing of the film is really good, but I'm not sure the pacing of this every single scene always works. So the Alfred Molina scene seems like it's gonna be, it's gonna be a scene. You know what yeah, I mean? It doesn't, it doesn't and then it, cres- it crescendos instantaneously, and then it just ends. Yeah, and you're just like, oh, that kind of didn't go yeah. well. And that, I guess it's supposed to. It could, if you wanted to, mirror the experience that Cassie's having. But I think there's there's too much of that in film criticism of like, oh, that's this is just mirroring the experience. I don't think they're trying to mirror any experiences here. I think it's just a scene that seemed like it was going to be awesome and then fell flat. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it, I think it does fall flat, especially when compared to um, you know the almost not immediately preceding but the a few of the scenes preceding it like the connie Britton scene is just great like the building tension in that's just i think really solid uh, and the, uh, the allison breathe scene i think too is that like you're just kind of like you see them switch the show again this is where emerald F- um, fennel i i wish she would have trusted herself more maybe she got some shitty notes from somebody about something but like you have you sandra you sh- oh i bet you yeah, you know, it's Margot Robbie. I, I've oh, only Jesus. been in bad movies. Um, you have this great scene where, like, she's not telling you anything. She switches, you know, she gets ginger ale for herself, champagne for um, Allison Brie. Um, so you know that something's up, you know what I mean? But you don't necessarily know what's up. They stage this thing with this guy, um, and you, you can assume what something's going to happen, but you don't know what's going to happen. Then there's all the phone calls that. Um, Cassie doesn't answer for very obvious reasons. All that stuff is left unsaid and it heightens the suspense of what may ultimately happen with this thing. What may be the final kind of, um, you know, uh, you know, retribution that, that Cassie like mets out to, to, to Madison, um, Alison Bree's character. So she can do it. She just there's a bunch of scenes where she just didn't do it, and I want I want to know. I kept saying like, oh, why did you do that in those scenes? Hmm. Like the Christopher Mintz scene, um, the scene when Bo Burnham is going to the you know going to the club and she's picking up that guy who we already met, um, and that's kind of like there's like some continuity things in this, but I don't care about those. Um, you know, and then she kind of has this, she goes on to explain to that guy about the scissors or whatever, you know, you know, there's people like this and that, but that scene is funny because he's like, you ruined it. You people like you ruined it for us. Um, you know, men are terrible, but there's all those, there's a just, there's too many scenes that just kind of just don't, don't 
get all the way there and I'm just kind of like, no, get there, get there. And that's where I think if it went darker, like you said, she would have had no choice but to go there. Mm. Like, or the explanation stuff would have been a little less kind of like, like glaring or, or jarring if she, and I said glaring, which is a combination of glaring and jarring um, that I just made up. Uh, if she had kind of, if she was trying to stick it in, you know what I mean? If she was really like, but she, she kind of doesn't. She doesn't go all the way. I want her to go all the way. I did, I did appreciate the fact that uh, actors who typically play villains were the only good guys in this. You know, I don't know if that's just an accident, but... Wanted Clancy, Clancy Brown to get a nightstick Clancy, out and beat the like, shit out of somebody? No, but Clancy Brown and like Alfred Molina, who, you know, are known sort of for their villain performances, are, are good guys. And I, I think that's the well, Alfred, Alfred Molina. Alfred is, is, is a redeemed, I guess, good guy. Well, there was, and that's a, there was airs of... There was air, an air of Michael Clayton to uh, Tom Wilkinson's character, Michael Clayton to Alfred Molina's lawyer there you know what i mean like i know too much yeah. and then he had a breakdown like there, there's a little bit of that um you know there's so there's some influences and stuff that show here and I'm not which is not to say that emerald fennel is like a big tony gilroy fan that she's ripping him off <laughs> but i think in terms I, of I, you could have an homage to tony gilroy <laughs> it's fine <laughs> in terms of yeah <laughs> never mind Tilda Swinton would have been an asset to this movie, just walking through and just eating people. Um, I mean, what do you think about Emerald Fennel? It's like she would have been twenty when that came out, so yeah, she could have been. It's a good. Right? I mean, it's a good movie. I'm not yeah. saying there's anything wrong with Michael Clayton, um, but I think because of those those scenes seem so expositiony that they, they lack the signature feel of the best scenes of this movie. And some of these, this movie is. Um, I can't. I hope the next thing. I hope that Marvel doesn't eat her. Um, and she gets to make something else really awesome. Um, and you can tell by the people that worked on this movie that a lot of people believed in this. Well, I wonder I wonder if she's kind of like protected by like that Phoebe Walker Bridges. I hope so. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, did. I didn't, never watched Killing Eve, but I know she ran the second like series. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe they will. Um, so, yeah, maybe maybe TV will consume her. I definitely want to see her write more stuff. Uh, and I, I think she has a good she had a great visual eye, though. She like, did, yeah. I mean, I, a lot of this stuff worked um, really. I, I just think it's a good movie. I just think it's yeah. a really good movie. Like that pharmacy scene, and just using Paris Hilton with it. But that awesome. visually, visually, just looks great. Well, I think in the opening scene too, I, all the choices I think are I think, good. And what I think what I think I like about this, and I think the thing I'm really speaking to, it's just it's so unique. Mm. It's, yep. it's really yep, yep, yep. just just a unique experience. Um, mm. Like I, I, I fully admit the flaws you're saying with it. No, but, but I, I it's one of those movies yeah. where like I was really able to overlook those flaws because I was like, this is this is not something I, I see quite often. Yeah. No, and I, I agree with you. Like I didn't quite overlook them, but like they didn't ruin they didn't necessarily ruin the experience for me. I yeah. was like, this is still like a fun this is still a fun ride. For until, a, dar- until, a pretty dark until, movie, it's a until fun it's ride. Not. Until yeah. it's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's 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 got some lows, but its highs kind of like supersede those for me well let's think it rides a high like for most of those t- for most of those moments which is cool you know it doesn't have this kind of like ebbing and flowing at some kind of you know debut movies have where like this you know um whatever it just it dips and then it goes back up and then it dips for a little bit and then it goes back up um i did wonder what the red and blue was you mentioned that and i was wondering what that meant 
Well, I think because it's seen, shown so early in the movie and you're going to use context clues like uh, the poster or just kind of the way that the movie is framed, you're kind of just, I thought like, is she killing people? Like, are we going to see blood at some point? But I think you're what right. Was she, was she eating a donut in that, after that opening credits? It was a donut, right? A donut. That was like <laughs> dripping white, like red. Oh, on I it. thought it was a chili dog. Yeah, I couldn't tell it was a chili dog or donut. But I, well, yeah, what I thought what the red or blue was was because I'm pretty sure Christopher Vince Plass is a different color than Adam Brody. I thought it was like people that woke her up, tried to wake her up versus people that just went after her. Well, I, I, no, I thought they were the same color. I thought they were both blue. Maybe, but there was, a, there was a red between the blue and the and the, those two blues. So I wondered, I wondered if it was like guys who just brought her home. Yeah, that's what I'm wondering. Because I was, I was that, trying to think about yeah. how few like well there are only a few red and if that's the case like that maybe could have been what it is just guys who just took her home yeah um and i suppose we don't have to know that but i think from a, like when i was talking about continuity stuff that stuff was weird because um i don't know if she's only doing it every weekend that means it's just like one but it seemed like there was hundreds yeah which would have meant that she's been doing this for years which i guess she could have been doing it for years um i i assume she's been doing it for like three or four years at this point I, but I, I also don't know like ultimately what the point is like i guess she's teaching guys a lesson but that jerry guy adam brody told that other guy about her but he still went out and like picked up chicks yeah so he's obviously people aren't learning things obviously you know what i mean and anyone who's quoting that much David Foster or talking that much about his his uh, his novel and David Foster Wallace is probably not gonna and who's making people do cocaine by sticking dollar bills up their, <laughs> their nose even though they say they don't want to do it probably aren't learning any lessons. And, and yeah, and I guess I mean I guess it, it, I thought the term magical realism, but the kind of sur, not surrealism, you know what I mean? The um... yeah, I know what you mean. The suspension of disbelief that has to be in here is like, if she had been doing this for years to hundreds of men, a news story would have been picked up about this. Right, and I was, ago. and I was, and so I was fun. And like when I complained to you about like, I kind of wish we had seen something where like it doesn't work. And I was like, at some point, the movie so commits to its premise that I was just like, whatever, you know. And I was too. I didn't even really. It was only like after the fact that I cared about it. Um, yeah. But in the in the moment, I was just like. The scenes good. Yeah. You know what scenes aren't good, Tom? The scenes, scenes in the movies we're gonna talk about. The scenes in the movies we're gonna talk about. All right. Let me um go or... grab a beer. Okay. Yeah, you wanna, you wanna start with your five and I'll do five four and then we'll just snake it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do it. All right, we're back with a, an annual tradition like no other in in podcasts because i don't think anyone else is as mean as we are perhaps we're the meanest and we don't yeah. suffer fools we, want yeah, we, we typically read yeah other podcasts most other podcasts didn't put joker like near the top of their worst films little year list right was and it, then we're was it my number one actually i feel like it was and i feel like you're it was your number one for like similar reasons to some movies that i kind of want to mention like I don't want to mention. So we had a text conversation about 
like how we were going to do this. And I think one of the interesting things about this year is that I felt very disappointed by a lot of movies. Um, mm. Like movies that I just thought were going to be good and I was excited for, and then were just like not very good. So they weren't, they obviously weren't terrible. Like uh, Sofia Coppola's On the Rocks. I guess it's not one of the worst movies of the year. It just sucked. And it felt shitty that it sucked. Like I felt yeah. bad that I didn't like it, but it wasn't my fault because the movie wasn't any good. And I kind of felt that way about, um, I don't know. There's a few things that like, like, you know, I, I, just, I wish I could, I have my list um, and I, I wish I could remember what they were, but yeah, like, it should, it should be noted. Re, redo actively avoid also films that are going to be terrible. If we can help it, I guess we and maybe we shouldn't, and maybe like there's people that are like, if you don't see everything, you're not doing a good job. I just feel like I watched a ton of movies this year, and I have like a list of ten that I really didn't like that we whittled down to five to do this thing. Um, but yeah. yes, there's there's always we also like, work full. T- we also work jobs, are going to school, and yeah. have other hobbies. Yeah, if um, you want to fucking pay us to do this, we'll watch all your garbage. We will. We will gladly watch everything that comes out on Vudu every Friday. I don't even know what those movies yeah. are, but somebody's paying five dollars to see them. Um, to that end, though, I mean, so the the two movies, no, one movie. I had a hard time with my number five because one of them. Are these I think, your dishonorable mention? No, my Sorry. one dishonorable mention was um, on the rocks because it was a bummer. I guess I had a problem with. My number five in terms of intentionality. And so one of the movies that I was considering for my number five, which I guess would be my number six, I thought was well intentioned. It just was it just was a failure. It was just a bad job. I think my number five was well intentioned also, and it was a total failure. But in being well intentioned, it was like virtue signaling and sanctimonious and just kind of gross, especially when compared to some other stuff that happened this year. It's really interesting because I have no idea what your list is this year. So my number... F- oh, wait, I think I might know what your number five is. My number six that I was talking about was Unpregnant, which is a bad movie, but I don't think it's tr- it meant to be a bad movie. No. And I think it's a small movie and they tried hard and it's got people in it that I like. It just didn't work. It was in All- my top top 10 bottom as well all, exactly all the choices that they made were bad except for casting Haley lou richardson which is always good my number five i think meant well also but it so loves the smell of its own anus that i'm just so sick of thinking about the fact that aaron sorkin might win a fucking oscar for this movie and it is the trial <laughs> of the chicago seven um is it on your is that make your it list? Did not, no. It did not make my list. I every time I think about this movie, I hate it more, Mario. And every time I read something about it, I also hate it more. Like, did you know that like the 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 characters that the actors in the movie are supposed to be playing are in their like twenties? Yes. When they cast a bunch of guys in their forties. I think Eddie Redmayne's in his late thirties. That's just like that is so like for a guy that like positions himself as like this super liberal he did like the most capitalist thing ever which is casting all name people to play these roles not based on like how much how good they could do a job but just like on how famous they were 
I mean, in, there's that. And then the movie fucking stinks on top of all that other stuff. So, yeah, that's why Trial of the Chicago 7 is my number five. Uh, I mean, I, I think from a screenplay standpoint, it's a failure. I think from a direction standpoint, it's a failure. I, I find the performances still to lift this movie above being terrible. I, th- I think everything Aaron Sorkin had a hand in in this just doesn't work. But I do think in spite of Sorkin's thumbprint being all over it, I think Sasha Baron Cohen and Red Mane and Langello and, um, well, and so Ryan Lance are doing, doing a pretty fantastic job. I actually th- have come around to the fact that I only think Mark Rylance is doing a good job. I think everyone else, or Sasha Baron Cohen is doing a good job. Everyone else, I think, is doing like a really trying too hard to act job. I think the Frank Langella thing, I, I can't even tell how good an actor he may be in this movie because the stuff that Aaron Sorkin gave him to do is the worst. Like, and especially compared to, there's just no depth to him. He's just mm. a racist, and which is fine. There are racists. You know, we live in America. Uh, we just impeached one today. Um, you know, we're very familiar with racists. But there's in in something like uh, Mangrove, there is depth to that racism. And in this, there's no depth. Everybody is just a surface version of a person. And absolutely. And I, th- I think that's, that's also damning to Trial of the Chicago 7 is that people who have had this deep dive into the Small Axe series have basically come out of it saying like, Man Grove does everything Trial Chicago 7's setting out to do much more expertly, like yep. just on all fronts. And yeah. you know, uh, a leading role in Sean Parks is just such a it's such a magnetic performance that it just works in every way. And then just you know, when you fucking have Steve McQueen behind the camera, who's not a human being, we've established this. He's he's a cyborg. He's like some a, sort. He is. I think you know people talk about the film gods, or maybe they don't. He has got to be like the offspring of a film god and he's somebody like a dem- else. He's like a demigod. Yeah, yeah he's got to be. There's like no Pauline, other way. Pauline Kale and somebody made <laughs> yeah. it and made Steve McQueen. Uh, so my number five, Tom, was the first kind of kind of one of the first films that was supposed to be a big theatrical, not big theatrical release, but it was going to be a theatrical release and got shuffled off due to the COVID crisis. And... Uh, Oh boy, was this a movie that when it ended up releasing on Netflix uh, instead of on theaters, I had to very much question in what world did they ever think this film was going to be a successful theatrical release or even a, a middling theatrical release? Uh, because it's it's a movie where it's two leads seem as though they're trying to do a good job. But man... The movie around it, the direction around it, and everything just is a big old fucking flop. <laughs> you have any? You have any guesses of this one? Uh, I'm assuming it is Lovebirds. It is the Lovebirds. It's my Uh-oh. number three. So. <laughs> uh, so I'll talk about short, uh, just a little bit. We get more into it. Yeah, no, just, we can just, talk about it now. We can just kind of skip over it when I get to mine. So okay. Um, yeah. No. Uh, it, it's 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 a real bummer because. Um, Especially Isa Ray's really trying hard in this, mm-hmm. and and there's there's moments where they have really solid charisma, uh, uh, chemistry, I should say, between the two of them. But holy fuck, is this just one of the most pathetic screenplays of the year? Um, it was everything it was bad. 
everything jumps from from point to point, moment to moment, without any particular sort of attempt to make things flow. Um, Michael Showalter was is out of his element with bad screenplays. He he mm-hmm. films this like a bottom barrel um, Netflix release. I know it's going to be a theatrical release, but it's it's a Netflix release through and through. Oh, it's, um, I have no idea, how, like you said, how this they could have possibly thought this was going to work in theaters. Yeah, it's it's basically this 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 movie. It, it felt like a, a student film variation of mm. Pineapple Express, yeah. um, <laughs> and like a freshman student film. Uh, that's good. That's a good uh, one. Yeah, no, it's it's it is a just miserable experience um and luckily the biggest plus that this movie has is the fact that all i could remember about it was it was a bad movie Mm. and everything else has escaped my brain yeah my number four tom uh has the extra little punch to it at least for you the fact that you had to spend 30 dollars for well i guess we had to split resplit this cost for this, for this little ditty, uh, because my number four is the Disney Plus release, another the first major blockbuster film that ended up being released on streaming because of the COVID crisis, and that's uh, Mulan. <laughs> is this is this show up on on yours at all? No, Mulan was one of those movies that was indifferent to. Yeah, I didn't I feel was... anything about it. It was just kind of like, well, that was a movie. The thing that bugs me about Mulan is it's so wholly insipid. Mm. Insipid. Insipid, I should say. That's the correct way of saying that word. Insipid. <laughs> it's, it is without imagination. It is never pleasant to look at. It is, for its cost, never has a moment that kind of catches your eye Mm. everything about this is just the most fabric pressed clinical experience i have gone through um and and i i I guess in a very similar way to lovebirds is is it's wholly forgettable Mm -hmm. yes i agree with you it's wholly it's less forgivable for this movie because there was a lot thrown into this. There was a lot of money thrown into this project. There was a lot of time thrown into this project. There was a lot of stuff going in there. And to have something that in no way does anything, has any moments. Like, you hated Avengers Endgame. At least Avengers Endgame has a couple moments that are like, oh, but that's pretty good. I like Avengers Endgame. It's just stupid. Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's not what you said during the review. Well, the, um, the review was like, I kind of, uh, yeah, it's one of those things where I, it's, it's doing what it's going to do. It's not doing it for me because it doesn't make any sense. And I require a little bit of, 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 of attempt to make sense when I watch a, when I watch a movie. That's fair. Um, but I, like going back to the previous, like live action Disney releases, even the ones that are failures, which is all of them. Yeah. Um, all of them at least have some moments that are visually impressive that are like as terrible as Lion King is, as terrible as Beauty and the Beast where it was, um, and as bad as like 
Aladdin is, and the other ones are kind of just like middling. Um, they at least have these these instances where you're just really impressed by what's on the screen. Like Lion King has those moments that are um, visually kind of stunning. The fact that it's just like a completely animated film. Mm-hmm. Aladdin at least has like a real concentration on its color palette. Um, and it's, I mean, Aladdin, this, the, the Beauty and the Beast and Aladdin are like not unfun. Like, yeah, they're they have appealing character actors playing characters, and Dan Stevens is in Beauty and the Beast. I mean, oh yeah, you can never go wrong with Dan Stevens. Um, plus, right there. But like Aladdin has a strong color palette. Beauty and the Beast at least attempts to like do something new with its material. Mulan is the most washed out, dull experience, and and it's the thing, it's Mulan. Like the animated film, I don't love, but. It's colorful and vibrant and, and and for a Disney film of its time, incredibly action heavy. Mm-hmm. And this new Milan is for having what how many times the budget of something like Crouchy Tiger Hidden Dragon or films of its ilk feels so utterly slow. It's boring. Dull. Yeah. And, and it never everyone gets... is sleepwalking <clears throat> through it. And even in the battle scenes and stuff like that, it never does anything like uh, really very interesting and I think one of the problems with something like Mulan is that sometimes it thinks it's being very interesting mm. and you're just like and the, it almost seems like the movie is looking at you being like wasn't that cool and you're just like oh, really she kicked an arrow okay we those guys fought in like a trapezoidal shaped hallway isn't that cool and I'm just like no why is the hallway shaped like that <laughs> yeah no um just a just an experience that's that's just ugh, ugh. yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna piggyback on that an, an experience for me that was ugh, uh, which i don't know if you saw which is fine i i hope you didn't go back and watch that um is mine number four which is the taylor swift documentary miss americana I did that was that this year <clears throat> that was this that was like the very beginning of the year i have two movies from the very beginning of the year on my list um Miss Americana tells the story of of Taylor Swift realizing that there is uh, a world outside of her own head uh, or outside of her own ego, and she makes it's called record. Evermore. She makes him no, it's before that. So she makes a record while also discovering that um, Donald Trump is bad, uh, and 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 how her. How she explains to her handlers uh, why it is that she wants to come out and, and convince people to vote Democratic in the 2018 election, um, and how they don't want her to do it because it might alienate some of her fans. And how she she says to her handlers, um, "I don't care what you think." While there's a craft services table over here, and I'm going to go over in the other room and get uh, dressed for me like I'm in coming to America um, or uh, how I can't open doors for myself or drive or do anything without like 50 people around me. I don't care. Uh, vote. I'm going to tell people to vote for Democrats. And uh, yeah, it's pretty sanctimonious and pretty self-indulgent and pretty bad. And I think the worst thing about it is that I was one of those people that was like willing to forgive a certain amount of Taylor Swiftiness to her personality and to her like mythology and stuff like that, because I was like, well, she at least writes her own songs and she does write her own songs. 
the, the way that she writes those songs is also terrible. And so there's this movie spends a lot of time in the studio. Apparently she doesn't eat a burrito until the year 2019. Never had a burrito. Do we believe in this? Maybe. Ruby Mara did not eat um, a pie until that scene in Ghost Story. Mm. I can believe that. She's extremely extremely wealthy. Um, Yeah. They don't eat pie. The wealthy don't eat pies or burritos. People in Pittsburgh don't. No, New York. People in Pittsburgh eat fucking pies. No, New York. New York Giants. Giants, yeah. They eat pies. She never went to Junior's and ate a pie. That's a cheesecake. Oh, yeah, that's true. I'm sure they got pies. You don't think they got pies? No, their most famous their most famous things are their cheesecake and their um, fudge chocolate cake, which that's is really true, expensive. That's true, but I'm sure they also Which have is really pies. expensive, and I have to buy it at some point. That's so I'm fun. sure if it was cronuts, she'd be like, oh, I'm, I know all about these cronuts because I'm into fad pastries. Um, oh, yeah, could you imagine a ghost story if she just, like, Ruby Mara's just fucking <laughs> down in cronuts? Here's a box of cronuts. We're sorry for your loss. <laughs> <laughs> That's where the ghost comes in through the box and just like his hand comes out and is like, no. No, I'm alive. These aren't flaky. <laughs> These are authentic cronuts. Um, yeah. So you get to watch Taylor Swift make music and you know what Taylor Swift does a lot when she makes music is just talk, like sing random stuff into a microphone and then she's like, that's a song. And then all of her handlers are like, yup, you're a genius. You wrote a song. Like, and does, guess, she, does she like do her own chords and stuff? Like, does she do? She kind of does. Everything's kind of beat oriented and melody based. And then they kind of do stuff underneath it. So even though Ryan Adams is a problematic. Bonifer pops up and goes like, here's your song. Well, yeah, he's like, here's some things. Blah, blah, blah. Um, you're fine. We're men. Um, yeah, even it's just it's just weird. It's just, oh, so I was saying Ryan Adams is a problematic individual in our culture, but Ryan, one of the interesting things about Ryan Adams is that like, when he made his cover album of her 1989 record, he just covered every song in the record. He was like, I just wanted to see how they work because there's no guitars. Because one of the things that she does on her how she records music apparently is she just like sings stuff and then they just make up whatever goes underneath it so you don't need chords you don't need piano or you don't need a guitar you don't need anything because you just kind of have a keyboard and goes beep 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 terrible everything is terrible this movie freaking stinks she's clearly in love with herself and she clearly wants to show people how hard her life is so that you love her more than you did previously and it's gross and i hate it I'm going to piggyback um, off that really quickly. Well, I'm saying Ever, my number... Wait, is this... Go ahead. You know, it's, it's, it's tied to Taylor Swift. I never saw this movie because I don't fucking care. Evermore and Folklore. I listened to a lot of albums last year just because I wanted to. I, I'll, maybe I'll, I think I maybe put the spot up, my spot you up did. on this, the top albums yep. on the, the Pivotal Film thing. You certainly did. Um, those albums fucking suck. They're bad. They're both, they're both terrible. Yep. I agree. Listen to Caroline Rose if you want to listen to a good Taylor Swift. And my number three, uh, which we already talked about, is Lovebirds. Um, Same thing. It's a movie that doesn't work on any level except for the fact that I like Issa Rae and and Kamel Nanjiani, and I think they're trying. Um, But I think when you spend that much time in an Uber in your movie, you did it wrong. You you made a bad movie. They are. They're, They're really trying. Like, yeah. This is no criticism to them. No. It's a criticism to everything else. Mario, what's your number three? 
My number three, Tom, I believe is going to show up on your list. <laughs> Might be your number two or one. It's a it's a fairly recent release, and it's another critically somehow beloved film. But everybody I've talked to about this movie has fucking hated it. And I watched it with somebody who is typically accepting and loving of these sorts of types of movies, and she hated it. And I was at East Rock Brewing this past weekend outside. And as we, <laughs> I was walking with the person I had seen it with uh, away from East Rock Brewing after we had talked about this movie again and said how much we hated it. We heard, hey, have you seen that movie that stars that guy from Schitt's Creek? And the person went, yeah, uh, the one with uh, Kristen Stewart. Yeah. That movie fucking sucks. <laughs> and the person responded with, yeah, it was pretty bad. And that's Happiest Season. Yeah. Uh, is, is this is this, does this pop up? Well, so it's, we'll talk about it when we get there. It's kind uh, of like an overarching thing for me. This is, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. This movie's fucking gross. Like that, that's kind of my review of it is it's just gross. Um, outside of the fact that like from a overall creation standpoint, it doesn't work in any possible way. Um, and I, I, I kind of go back and forth. Maybe this should have been higher on my list. Um, the thing that's gross about it is this is a movie that promotes like the most toxic relationship in the world and tells you that's a good thing. Um, it's it's just it's it's an unfun experience. Uh, Harper is the most abusive partner in the world. In a film where you're told she's you know in a film where an abusive relationship is not presented as an abusive relationship. In no way, form, shape should they end up together, and just. Everything about this film doesn't work. It's 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 an uncomfortable experience. It's an unfun experience. I was really drunk when I saw this, and yet <laughs> I remember how unpleasant it was. Everybody is a stereotype. Everyone's locked into this small little box. Everything is just unpleasant. It's just a constantly unpleasant experience. And I've watched a few weeks later another terrible holiday themed. Uh, dating streaming movie Holiday, which is also very bad. Possibly worse has a film, mm. but it's not gross. Like Emma Roberts can't act her way out of a fucking bag <laughs> nine times out of ten. Um, but Holiday is just the least innocuously an R-rated holiday movie mm -hmm. and just is fine. Every time I look back at Happiest Season, I can't help but think, like, not only does this film not work on any sort of level as a film, it just is promoting an outdated idea and promoting a really unhealthy relationship with that idea. So I'm going to say this, and that's actually a really uh, intelligent way to kind of and even though you didn't know you you didn't know you were doing it uh, to bridge to my thoughts on happy a season is that the reason happy a season didn't really go on my list was because I've thought a lot about happy a season and I hate it I fucking hate it for all the same reasons that you just said 
My problem is that I'm assuming that Clea Duval knew better. And she knew better the whole time. And she was trapped in her script is terrible. But I think what the movie represented got in the way of making a good movie. And I feel bad for her that she tried to make a movie that was literally all things to not just all LGBTQ people, but to all straight people too, or, you know, cisgendered heteronormative people. And not even like it had to be representative of their feelings. She tried to make something that wouldn't offend people. And in making something that didn't offend people, she ended up making something super offensive. But I don't think she meant to be make something this shitty. I think she was just stuck in a really crappy place where her movie was going to mean something way more than it should have. This should have just been a shitty holiday movie. And because of its nature, it got built up into this cultural touchstone. And well, I, th- I feel bad for her, I think, I is, do, what is my problem. I, I do, too. But I would have been fine with it being a really shitty movie, holiday movie that just became a cultural touchstone because of what it represented, because it represents, you know, uh, LGBTQ relationship and represents that relationship in the face of like a really conservative partnership. Yep. The thing I don't accept is just how much of a fucking monster Harper is in this movie. Sure. And that's like, that's unredeemable. And I, and I agree with you. I, I, I would be curious to know, and I don't think she'd ever honestly answer this question. I'd be curious to know what her thinking was in developing that character. Because there is no way she thought this was a good idea for a character. There just isn't. There's just it just can't be. And I I again there's out there's gotta be outside forces at play here. Um and good but good for her that people like we're talking about this movie and a lot of people saw this movie and it might mean something to somebody. And I guess that's good. Um, Man, I, I have to say this. I tough. hope, I fucking hope the explosion of Shit's Creek like lets us put to rest for a bit like this need in um, gay, lesbian, bisexual like, like films, the need to like have this like weird layer of like um dissidents against against a relationship like the thing i really respect about Shit's creek is it's just it's presented in this world where you know that sort of bigotry doesn't exist yeah yeah, Um, yeah. and i want to see movies i want to see shitty holiday more famous popular shitty holiday movies where like there's a gay couple and that's cool but it's just a shitty holiday movie and it's a gay couple and the pushback against them being gay is minimal. The pushback I'm going to have against that movie is it being shitty, but like I'm it's time. It's time to really start aggressively in the arts, just like pushing back against this need and necessity to make um, the persecuted gay, lesbian, bisexual, queer, um, a a touchstone thing. Another great thing about promising young woman, like, like, um, Laverne Cox, a transgender woman, you know, is 
just a woman and that you know so there's no sort of just, there's nothing to it it's just it just is what it is and she's you well, know she's excellent at it yeah and it's you know um and that's what that's what that's I'm, I'm ready i'm ready for this to be mainstream i'm ready for it too and i wonder if when laverne uh Oliver cox when cleta is making this movie if she uh encountered a bunch of people who aren't ready for it and I guess we would have appreciated if she had told the people that were pushing back that way to go fuck themselves, but she didn't. And she made this movie and it's a good thing that this movie exists. I, we just wish it wasn't a fucking train wreck. You know what uh, the world's not ready for and should never be ready for What's that? remakes of Nicholas rogues uh, children's movies and Anne Hathaway doing shitty Eastern European <laughs> accents. My number two is uh, the witches. Uh, um, is it, does this pop up with you? You know why it didn't pop up? Because I forgot it existed. <laughs> really? Well, uh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Like I, 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 it's inoffensively bad. I'll say that. Like, like uh, the the films I had previously. Um, this kind of exists in in the Lovebirds spectrum of of a bad movie, and I, I forgot a lot about it. Um, but this is just your 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 quintessential bad movie. Yeah. Like like and it's it's not it's not fun. It's not a fun bad movie. It's just it looks bad. Everything about it's put together bad. It Stanley bad. Tucci's yeah. just like you, you look at Stanley Tucci and you just shake your head sadly looking at Stanley Tucci. Um Octavia Spencer is at least trying. Anne mm. Hathaway's doing whatever Anne Hathaway's doing. Good for her. Like she knows that she's i think she knows she's in a terrible movie right she's collecting a paycheck but um yeah i don't want to begrudge the fact too long it's it's just legitimately a bad movie from top to bottom um robert zemeckis has continued this like crazy downward spiral from castaway on castaway is castaway post what lies beneath i believe it is. yeah 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 um because i love what lies beneath but like you know welcome to marwin to this like well, Robert Zemeckis, is, the best thing he did this year was that movie that he directed inside of, uh, I'm thinking of ending things. Oh, right. Which is, I just rewatched that movie and it's, it hits so hard. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Yeah, I know. Like, like, well, the Witches doesn't have that same, I don't have that same level of theatre for the Witches, but I have to put it at number two because, man, this is just terrible, legitimately yeah. a bad movie. No, I probably would have put it on my list if I remembered it existed. Um, my number two is a movie we just talked about. And I, I suppose it, it it's on my list for the same reason that, like, Trial of Chicago 7's on my list and, like, uh, On the Rocks was almost on my list, is that, like, it just got framed as this thing that's really good and really excellent and that we should all be celebrating, and it is fucking trash and i don't care what anybody says i'm i'm so sick of reading think pieces about like how good this movie actually is or how we should just lay off of it and I really hope keep, it's not not what i'm thinking of it but and, and lay off of it and just like give it an opportunity to like be what it is or just kind is this of a appreciate movie I, for what it is i really liked no no no, no, no. okay it's, it's, it's portrait not, of a lady I'd... no 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 not not a movie i love but like a movie i no 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 it's okay. wonder woman 1984 Oh, okay. I thought it was gonna be Mink, and I was like, "No, no, no! I don't have any feelings for Mink." Okay. Um, yeah, Wonder Woman 1984 is a terrible movie. I've there's been so much written like over the last couple of weeks since we reviewed it 
um, maybe in response to our review um, about like how Pedro Pascal is like awesome in it and how like Gal Gadot is like a victim because you know they didn't give her anything good to do she, and how like oh, Chris, because she rapes a man in the and how Chris Pine is like you know saving the world from you know non funniness and Wonder Woman movies this movie stinks like from beginning to end it's just awful and the more time that goes by the more I realize how terrible it is the more time that goes by the more I realized it was way too long um, I'm still indifferent to it as we talked about I, I don't think it's good at yeah. all I think it's it shows clearly when Hans Zimmer couldn't complete a score and just use John Murphy stuff that <laughs> for the most important moments in the movie that nobody cared about this and because of that I just also don't care yeah and well so and that's uh, the, I think I get to my number one a little bit is that Do we, I hope we I, oh man I, I, would hope I don't we even think you saw one. my number one um, I'm surprised my number one didn't make your list. Well, maybe maybe it's because I forgot it existed. I forgot that this movie existed too. And then when I remembered that it existed, I was like, oh yeah, it's the one, it's the movie I saw this year where literally nothing worked. The special effects didn't work. The weird voice that the main character used didn't work. The voice acting didn't work. It is awful. This it is just one of the worst inexplicably terrible movies, but like, in a, in a, I guess in a kind of fun way, like I can't believe you wasted like seven years of your life and $300 million making this just completely terrible movie. Um, and it's a movie that I, I think time has forgot and will forget forever because it's just awful. And that is the Robert Downey Jr. Vehicle. Oh, Doolittle. Do little. Um, which I yeah. panned when it came out, but that was pre-pandemic. I still haven't seen it. And it's, but, I'm never going to see it. And nor should you, because it's just the worst. It's terrible in every single way. Um, and not even like in interesting ways. And not even like in offensive ways or cultural ways or anything like that. It just sucks. Everything about it is just terrible. And... I don't even really have a lot to say about it. It's one of those movies that are like, what are the worst movies of the year? Dragon Constipation doesn't get you excited? <laughs> no, Dragon Constipation doesn't get me excited. Uh, Tigers with Mommy Issues doesn't get me excited. Weird Welsh accents that have obviously been overdubbed like seven times. Um, pro don't get me excited. Polar Bears? <laughs> pro wrestlers as Polar Bears. Like actors that like when you're listening to them, you're like, is that even a person I know? Because there's a weird echo like they recorded it on their phone or over Zoom, um, even before Zoom was a thing. Um, yeah, it's just weird. It was weird how it's weird how a complete miss it is, like in every way. Not even like a miss. It's weird just how like not a non thing it is in every way. And your kids hated it too, right? Well, the only part that they liked was the credits. I mean, and even like it's meant for kids, but even when like the dragon shit out like the armor, they were like, ugh. They weren't like, ha ha ha, that's so funny. They're like, that's disgusting. So, and it's, I guess it's, it's anticlimactic because it's like a kids' movie that came out in January, but it's terrible. It's also made like most of the worst list of the year for most people, which so. is good. So, good for me. I didn't even know that because I forgot it, it was, existed until today. 
my number one is a movie we were very much looking forward to. Um, is a film for a long time, but it is a film that when it came out was so utterly devoid of anything redeeming, devoid of anything of merit, flat, mean-spirited, gross, and just an overall languishing experience of three hours of my life. Oh my, forgot! I could not forget this. Is because for seven months this has been sitting at my number one. <laughs> uh, just waiting. Waiting for that movie that was worse. And nothing came close at all. I'm going to be honest. I just want to interrupt you real quick. I probably thought too hard about my list. I think your list and my list could be essentially the same in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? I was just like, I was so bummed out by some of like the, like overly sanctimonious stuff that was coming out, you know, this Mm -hmm. year um, that I forgot about just like the truly awful things. So I feel bad. I feel like, I feel just weird. I feel like my list is not valid anymore because what you're going to say is going to be the right on and you're going to speak for both of us and we can probably do another hour and a half just on how terrible the movie still is. And that's why my number one is Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. <laughs> uh, no, my number one is The Painted Bird. Um, yes. Just it's uh, everything I said about it. I uh, re reviewed this as a, a dual kind of review with come and see, which is one of the, and I hate to repeat the talking point of every fucking collider and medium article in the past five <laughs> years is one of the most powerful anti-war films ever made. And I came into it in the same way everyone else did watching come and see because it got a criterion re-release yeah but it works and it's it those articles by every neck beard fucking <laughs> english major uh <laughs> only undergraduate never actually getting their graduate degree because you know they got rejected by every girl um speaks <laughs> so they're all incels now yeah, but, uh, speaks volumes because it, it works. It, it is it is truly an anti-war film. Uh, Painted Bird revels in 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 its violence. It revels in its its grotesquities. It, if that's the word I can say, because it's not really a word. It, it revels in everything it's supposed to abhor. And the book itself also fucking sucks because it. I couldn't finish it because it also revels in all of that. Um, which isn't to say that the movie is forgiven for that because the movie revels in different ways. It is a film that in so many ways feels as though it's celebrating what happened in the Holocaust. As though it's, it feels as though it's kind of glad this kid is going through such an awful experience. We've watched a lot of really dark fucking Lars von Trier movies as a result of this podcast. We yep. talked one of our most popular episodes is The House That Jack Built, a movie that feels gross to watch, but that when you sit back and look at it, it's a really damning experience of like, it's weird coming from Ron Trier because he's a problematic individual. It's a damning uh, 
description of of a toxic toxic sort of masculine perspective or a a really kind of as you said incel kind of experience it works regardless of what Von Trier is or is not <laughs> house that Jack built fucking works it may not try to work it may not feel like it works when you're watching it but um, if you think about it and you give it some space and you come back to it it's it's and you don't have to come back to all of it but just like come back to some of the ideas and stuff it it does it's it's tough and it's not fun but it it works for what it, i think it's trying to say yeah. um the painted bird i think so the i didn't i don't enjoy the novel either but i think what the novel tries to present a little bit is um the idea that there is a glimmer of something other than evil in the universe this kid just can't touch it and i i remember and i i remember talking about the scene when we watched it about the 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 woman that takes him and then like buries him in the field because he's sick and in the book she doesn't bury him in the field because he's sick to punish him or because she thinks he's evil Be, she just thinks it's the best way to get the sickness out of him yeah and in the movie it's framed like oh yeah i'm going to torture this kid I'm going to bury him in a field and let crows peck at his head. And it's the kid's fault that like anything bad happened to him. Um, and the, it does that through the whole film. Like everything that terrible happens to this kid is the kid's fault. In the eyes of, not even like the people in the movie, but in the eyes of the camera, he is to blame fully for his experience by the fact that he exists. And it's, it's, it's just yeah. awful. Vaclav Marhol, like, I haven't seen any of his dumb fucking comedies. Um, just for this one film, legitimately one of the worst directors I've ever seen, I've, I've seen. Because I hate the book, but like you said, he totally does not even understand what the fuck the book's trying to do. And beyond the fact of how abhorrent this film is from just a a struck a a standpoint of culturally being on the right side it's structurally just a fucking nightmare of an experience and it's flat and it's just full of 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 just a total indifference mm. where there needs to be some sort of casual intent of an emotional effect but this movie is so totally without that it is watching torture for three hours Mm. and it's torture to watch yeah and it's a torture it's a torture to watch and it is torture in the fact that he he handles it with with such amateurish uh boorish levels of, of of filmmaking and the fact that he it seems as though he's totally misunderstanding the intents of of the book which i and i think the book is a failing too but you know like you said the book is trying to do something this movie's saying something totally different i mean the book is lying to you um yeah jersey kaczynski is lying to you but at least he's there's um, a literary quality to it where it's not just this kind of empty lie. 
Um, it's meant to show you something. This movie is just meant to show burning ferrets and kids getting thrown in shit. And there's no context for anything. It's just like, oh, yeah, this is the part where the kid gets thrown in shit. And this is the part with the donkey or the goat. And this is the part with Barry Pepper. And nothing has nothing means anything. Nothing has any meaning. Um, it's just whole, like one horror after another. And I think it's really interesting that we did. I mean, high five for us. It's really interesting that we did this with Come and See because Come and See is so horrific, but its horror has context, and so which is what makes it horror. It has those magical realism and surrealistic bends that add to kind of like that spectrum of horror through the eyes of a child. Right, and this has none of those things because it's not through the eyes of a child; it's through the eyes of a director. I mean, it's weird to, you know, watch a. Th- I think what probably one of the reasons that this movie is so slow is it's not a three hour movie that comes across as an experience or anything that you can experience. It becomes, it's a three hour movie that you're watching through the lens of the person making it. And it's the director is so present in every single second of this movie. It's exhausting. And even though, like, you know, I guess some of the black and white looks aesthetically not terrible and like there's a couple of shots that are not like the worst shots in the world it's just calendar style photography it's totally empty though it has no emotion at all it has uh, a it has and it has a real like for coming from like a, a more i'm pretty confident he was from my my memories he's he's a He's a comedy director. He's a yeah. comedy director. Yep. Um, it's casual indifference to humanity. I think the best way to compare this is if John Landis ever directed an anti-war film. <laughs> and, I, and I don't say that as a joke. Like I fucking hate John Landis as a like just as a, a base human being because mm-hmm. I think he's he got away with murder. Um, but John Landis films have this really cold aesthetic to them that they're i hate everything john landis has done Mm, i I like i enjoy the rick baker parts of american werewolf in london um like animal house and everything else he's done because it doesn't feel like a person that has empathy for human beings Mm -hmm. and john landis by the evidence of the type of fucking asshole he is doesn't have empathy for human beings and he's a comedy director yeah Yeah. um and so i I guess the best way to describe painted bird was is is you know to to a viewer who's not really familiar with it's just like imagine that sort of person imagine a john landis trying to make an anti-war movie who just doesn't understand the human toll of war doesn't understand the human toll of, of violence or, or casual indifference to the human condition. It's just, it, it is just a outline, a, a numerical one, two, three, four of yeah. bad experiences. Well, I think in, to that point, what you said in the very beginning of when we were talking about the painted burden, we can get off this at any point. We call um, this episode. Fuck you, John Landis. <laughs> We were waiting for this movie forever. Yeah. Like, we just, we were Great. like. Fantastic tr- first trailer. That first yeah. trailer. Amazing. And we were just like this, you know, I think it's interesting to find ourselves here. Because we're talking, we're going to do our best of the year list in a couple weeks. 
And I think both of us are, are, are feelings about what we want out of movies is really kind of changed. I think from the, when we started this podcast, when we're doing it, um, both you and me watched a lot of movies. We enjoyed movies. We talked a lot about movies, but I don't think we ever like sat down and tried to kind of articulate every week for three years. What is specifically about a movie that like we like or dislike, you know what I mean? In this kind of way, you just kind of, you watch a movie and you process it and you're like, that was good or that was bad or whatever, but we never had to kind of justify it. And as we've been justifying things, I think we've kind of come up, we've come up with like a, Ah, like an aesthetic rubric that we're, we kind of aim towards. And I think we both assumed that the painted bird was going to check off a lot of boxes on that rubric. It was just going to hit all of these spots. And I think, you know, there's a bunch of films and you, if you listen to all the episodes, which I'm encouraging everybody to do, listen to every single episode of this, <laughs> of this podcast. If you listen to all the episodes, we kind of march towards this idea. And I think a house at Jackpot is an interesting one to listen to where like, we felt one thing when we saw it, we recorded the episode literally right after we saw it. Yeah. We felt one thing after we saw it. And then as the weeks went by and we thought more about the movie and the movie used could, would used to come up all the time when we were talking about stuff. I was like, this reminds me a lot of house of Jackbell. I have another thought about house of Jackbell. Um, the, the depth of those boxes, like you couldn't, you know, I don't know. I, I want to make like a Scantron analogy here where like you're filling it in with a pencil. Like you'd have to just be circling it forever. Answer C. Yeah. To fill that in. And I think we all just, we both just thought that Painted Bird was going to be this like ultimate kind of, and especially when we did um, the Tarkovsky stuff, like we were so just into like this, this, in aesthetic influence and stuff that we assumed was going to be on display in the painted bird. Yeah, and because pre, just, go ahead. pre-pandemic, we were going to have like a professor come on to this podcast whose specialty yeah. is in like Polish filmmaking, like basically in Eastern European filmmaking, to like delve into painted bird and, and then we goes were like Tarkovsky and then uh, come and see and everything. And it was just. And the pandemic kind of ruined that, but also he also he also thought this movie was fucking garbage. But that's so that's the thing. So that's the other thing that ruined it is that the, this movie doesn't stand up to any of the expectations that we put on it, and that is it our fault to having expectations of it. I think in this context it isn't because we would have thought this movie sucked regardless. Yeah, if we had any previous like expectations for it, um, it's just a bad. It's a bad, 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 bad movie, and it's. So- I just think it's weird. And even like Brett Easton Ellis hated it. And he fucking hate he I just assumed because a kid died that he would have loved it, but he he liked it more than first cow. I don't know if that means <laughs> if that means Wait, did it, did he, he talked about them parent? both in the same episode, yeah. Oh, okay. I was just wondering if like he just like brought up randomly, like he had reviewed first cow weeks before and just like talking about painted bird he's like but compared to first cow oh <laughs> fuck you joe mcgarrow no, no he um yeah i know he reviewed both of those movies in the same episode which i found to be fascinating what a imagine, if we, had done, imagine if we had done that episode together jesus ah, he's such a fascinating guy pretty knows. uh so i'm gonna amend i'm gonna actually post on the twitter um my top 10 worst movies of the list because I'm going to amend 
a little bit my did you forget painted bird i forgot painted bird and i forgot the witches um and the witches like is the, bad. the valley the valley between two and one for me is so huge well so and, i'm um, gonna do do little at one i'm gonna do the painted bird at two i'm gonna do the witches at three wonder woman 1984 at four and lovebirds at five and then miss americana trial of chicago seven happiest season on the rocks and i'll find my 10 will probably be it will be in the top 10 but i you know i i feel like a little like dishonest like that i didn't but i literally legitimately forgot that those movies existed did you see you should have done what i did i wrote i i have a list of all the movies i've seen this year yeah i don't even worry about it i just i only do the stuff that like i think could be on my list and i i've got a long list of movies on that that i've seen um yeah starting this year every time i saw a new movie that came out in this year i I put it i wrote i have a little word doc where i just add that movie on yeah that's smart um but yeah anything anything that was almost on your list that didn't quite make it that we hadn't talked about already um nothing that's like noticeable why is kajillionaire on here twice the kajillionaire is not on my worst list i just um nothing that really stands out uh as being unpregnant like we talked about that um unpregnant would probably be my top 10 athlete a uh kind of dwindled on the outside of my list for a bit mm-hmm. and surely um athlete a and surely kind of like we're just kind of like around there mm-hmm. but sure i i ended up completely disregarding Shirley because it's just a disappointment. It was a disappointment. I had, I had expectations for Shirley that ended up not being met in any way. I don't think it's a particularly awful movie. I just think it's a disappointment. It's just a disappointing, yeah. forgetful, forgettable film. It's and Athlete A is just so utterly paint by numbers. Well, Athlete, but, a, Athlete A is a bad documentary. Yeah. But it's a val- It's a very valid and valuable subject matter. Yeah, exactly. It, should, um, it deserves a better documentary. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's why, like, neither of them, like, there were things I had kind of like jostled around in my head, but when push came to shove, I was just like, neither of these movies are particularly. Athlete Day is a bad movie, but I it has a valuable subject matter that's kind of been pushed under the, you yeah. know, yeah, yeah, under the rug. And Shirley's just, I had expectations for it going in that were in no way met so it was weird surely it was a weird movie it wasn't what i expected and i didn't hate it i kind of liked it but it also i didn't it was just kind of so strange that i wasn't able to get into it it's one of those movies that you see when you see a lot of movies and this is not a pat on the back there's a lot of movies you're like that was a movie i saw a pat on the back a pat in the back that we saw a lot of movies yeah is that something? Is that a pat in the back worthy? Well, I'm just not congratulating ourselves that we've seen a lot of movies. Maybe a lot. Of, I'm assuming everyone saw a lot of movies this year. What, what I, else? What else is there to do? I assume we saw. I, I would assume we saw more movies than a lot of people. Saw. Well, I think we went out of our way to see some stuff that other people weren't going to see. Yeah. Um, you know, I saw the old guard. <laughs> but I'm also. What other year would I have seen the old guard? You know what? As, uh, as I'm trying to kind of get through some stuff here at the end of the year, and then when we'll wrap up in, in, in a minute, um, one of the problems that I'm having is that, like, I don't feel compelled to watch certain stuff because I've got my thing or my, I've got my my list already filled out 
pretty solidly in a lot of categories. Mm-hmm. So like, there's a lot of things where like, you know, we're not going to see the, the father's not going to count on our list this year because it's didn't get released. I don't think yeah. anywhere. Um, but even if it did get released, my top five best actor is done. There's nothing Anthony Hopkins can do in that movie to establish that he belongs on that list. Even if it's the greatest acting performance ever, it won't be better than the <laughs> the five I already have on my list. You know what I mean? And I feel I feel like a little bit of the same way with um, actress now that I've seen Promising Young Woman is that that movie's that list is finished. Like I'm not sure. Like I want to see Black Bear. I think Black Bear is the only thing I have left in Swallow of the two movies I have left to see. Um, you that know, could be Aubrey, a best actress. Yeah, for Aubrey Plaza and Haley Bennett. But like, I'm also pretty confident that like, unless they're really great, they're not going to get on that. They're not going to get on that list. So I'm almost compelled to just yeah, not um, see them. But I also want to be true to the the, pro- the project that we're doing here and see as much stuff as humanly possible. Yeah, I think the only like best possible best actress movie I have left on my list is The Assistant. But from what you said, and that's not. I've The Assistant was one of those things that like early, very early in the award season, people were like, "Oh, The Assistant," and then now everyone's just kind of like, "No, that's it's not." Yeah, The Assistant. If it works for you, that's fine. It didn't really work for me. It doesn't do the thing that it's supposed to do. Um. But I still I have a lot of documentaries to watch. Um, I still have a lot of documentaries to watch. I think the last two big movies, like the last three big movies, movies I have to watch are One Night in Miami, Relic, and Beanpole. And Beanpole, I was not a oh, and Bach. And I'm not watching oh, Beanpole. Yeah. Um, oh, and and I was gonna say I still haven't seen Baccarat, but I know you refuse to watch Baccarat. Or just I think I've seen it. Everyone's just, I haven't seen it. Everyone's just like too obsessed with it. And I don't believe that it's as good as everyone's saying that it's it's good. I think they just think that it's weird. So I don't care. Um I'm gonna watch I'm gonna watch it just because, my just foreign, because it's just on criteria. But that's my foreign language films I feel really good about. And like Beanpole, I liked Beanpole, but I thought Beanpole's aesthetic language was too much like um Tarkovsky and the guy that did Delicatessen. I can't think of his name right now. Um, uh, Jean Genou. Um, it's too much. It's like a complete. It's they, whoever made Beanpole just borrows exactly from those two directors and their the film language. Like a Tarkovsky mirror, like mirror esque. Or no, it's more of like a stalker esque. Everything's very tactile. No. Um, but it's um, genou in the sense that everything is very, it's framed in a very specific way. A lot of, a lot of contained mm. interior shots. Um, so it's, it's, it's interesting. It's not uninteresting. Um, it just didn't, it just didn't do it for me. I, I didn't think the film language like was a, like very Like a original. little bit of an, I mean, I, I'm still going to watch it, but a little bit like an early Yorgos Lothamos, like dog tooth mm. aesthetic. No, because it seems too staged. It actually reminded me a lot of the interior shots reminded me a lot of what um, George C. Wolfe was doing in Ma Rainey. Mm. Where just like, I don't know what this decay is supposed to represent here. Like every room that everyone walks into is seems like uh, the paint is just 
constantly peeling and it's just I don't know, it's just it's weird it's it's very very strange and i guess it's war war is fine every room just the, the fact that every room looks ex- staged exactly the same way makes me think that it's it's hewing towards uh someone else's language more so than developing its own its own style and even some of the lighting and choices and stuff too are very um tarkovsky yeah yeah, this this award tier will be weird for us though because we have there's gonna be a lot of films that end up obviously on the 2020 list that won end up on like Nomad, uh, Mineru uh, or whatever, um, Minari, Minari, um, The Father, uh, Nine Days. Even though we're gonna see it in two days, well, Nine Days comes out. Nine Days comes out in June, but um, no, but I mean we can or, see, we're gonna Judas, see it. Judas, yeah. We're going to yeah. see nine days, but Judas, in two days, but we're not well, going to be able to see but it. But nine days is nine days will be a part of the will actually be a part of the 2021 Oscars, right? Because it's uh, not like getting Judas released. And the Black yeah. Messiah. yeah, Judas and a Black Messiah, stuff like this that will be a part of the April Oscars is not showing up, will not be until next year. Well, that's and I, you know, some films that are a part of last year's Oscars aren't going to are will be showing up on the pivotal film list. Well, I think this will be interesting. one film in particular from me. I think our Oscar list. <laughs> I think our Oscar episode will be important this year because it'll be representative of a bunch of stuff that we haven't talked about or seen yet. You know what yeah. I mean? Or so we'll see it in real time as it gets nominated for the Oscar. So we'll just, you know, it won't be important, but it'll be, um, it'll be a more interesting conversation because we won't have been able, we won't have the thread of what all this stuff means. Uh, what all this compared new to, stuff means until, what Rhea. right. Yeah. Um, so, all right. Um, if you like talking about threads, you can do it at Film Pivotal on our Twitter. Or you can go to pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com and, uh, or, oh, you can email us at pivotalfilmpodcast at gmail.com or you can go to pivotalfilm.com, which again, I haven't updated in a while. You see a list of the movies on our Pivotal Film list, which we'll get back to next week. <clears throat> one Night in Miami. And I, there was so one night, is it One Night in Miami? Is that out Friday? That's out Friday. Friday, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll do our number eights, which will be exciting. And uh, we'll do we'll do a review of a movie that's not out until June. Yeah, well, that'll be good. I'm interested to see what the, what this is. Um, and uh, so, yeah, until then, see as many movies as you can. Um, wear your goddamn fucking masks. I went to the grocery store before we did this episode, and it was the first and time I encountered somebody not wearing a mask at, still, in the store. I, I still, I've only experienced that once. I have this bad, exp- I have this bad thing where like. When I'm out with Megan quite often, she'll get really mad like after we leave the store and she'll be like, that person, blah, blah, blah. And it turns out that people are wearing the mask around their mouth. Yeah. Not around their nose. Yep. But for some reason, the second I see the mask in my brain, I automatically think they're wearing it. I I'm I've made peace but with I the mask on the mouth only because at least it's something. It's blocking something, yeah. The this was the the guy wasn't even wearing anything on his neck. He wasn't even Bruce Willising it. Oh wow! Um, he didn't have anything, and he was just talking on his Bluetooth the whole time, like shopping in the grocery store. And it was really, um, it kind of threw the whole store off. You can kind of feel it, like it's you know it's a stop and shop, so it's big. But everyone was kind of like, you saw that everyone kind of had seen this guy and was like, what is this? They were trying to have a society here. That's when you go up behind that guy with some sort of glass and smash it in the back of his head. 
And you say, don't tread on me. And then you step on his head and be like, don't tread on me, but retread uh, on you. All right. Uh, watch movies, folks. Drink beers and uh, as many as you need to. And it'll be, uh, we'll have a new president when we talk to each other. New Senate Majority Leader. We'll have a new everything. It'll be a new fucking life, Mario, next week. Yeah. Unless it all burns. And in which case, I guess we won't talk to you next week. Uh, so either you'll hear from us next week and things will be slightly better, or you won't hear from us next week. In which case, you'll understand why. It was, it was good. It was good knowing you. It was a good run. It was a good run. All right, we'll talk to you later.